Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you. And uh, by the way, no death notices uh, this uh, hour as we welcome you along to the programme. Bernie, continuing to take your calls today, 0818 103 103. Text and uh, WhatsApp is also available at 086 2103103. And a lot of people watched the match yesterday morning, and it was a little bit of heartbreak at the end with the girls uh, losing out. And, you know, the fact that they lost out on a penalty uh, in uh, many ways. They were not able to be broken down by the uh, the Aussies, the Matildas, as they were known. And everyone, you know, everybody watching that match yesterday would say Ireland put up nothing but a very, very gutsy uh, performance. And I think it does bode well for our next uh, two matches. And we are going to be talking about it in more detail because Denise O'Sullivan, the star for us from Cork, her sister uh, Sinead is going to be joining us on the programme in a couple of minutes. Michael has already been on about the match and said, hi Patricia, our ladies in green were just outstanding yesterday. Forget about the 1-0 result, we can't change that but it was their performance, their performance was outstanding against the host nation and one of the best teams in the world and remember the favourites. Personally I think that they played brilliantly and they showed what they can do under severe pressure when other respectful teams would have completely buckled. Katie McCabe, the captain, had them all raving about her over on ITV after her battling performance that she gave in the green. Laura Woods said it, it, it's in her blood. She's from Tala while lauding Katie McCabe. And the persistent tenacity they displayed after going 1-0 down was crucial to the team and also for the future matches. They are inspiring to watch and the best of luck to them next uh, Wednesday. Yeah, it's going to be very, very exciting indeed. And I did see a bit of a kind of a Twitter storm uh, break out because a lot of people, the fact that the match was at 11 o'clock on a uh, Thursday morning, many people were were at work. So people were trying to watch it on computers, on the RTE uh, player. But it seems for the first half anyway, the player was out of sync. And what 
the commentators was describing was not what people were watching on the screens. The commentators were telling people what was happening before they actually got to see it, which is hugely, hugely uh, frustrating. Uh, no, seemingly it did get sorted out at half time, but there was a lot of very disgruntled people uh, took to Twitter giving out about the RTE player. But God knows with everything going on with RTE at the moment, it's not. It's, it's a lot more, I suppose, to be worrying about. But that is frustrating because there was so many people trying to watch it on the player yesterday. Anyway, your thoughts about yesterday's match and about the team and about their performance and how you feel that they're going to do for the rest of the competition. We'd love to hear from you. 0818103103. And I think a good news story for a lot of people making the papers today to do with our own Cork Airport. And it's great to see that the numbers flying in and out of Cork Airport. We're now back up to where we were pre-pandemic, which is uh, fantastic for everybody associated with the airport. And our airport is so important to us for connectivity from the business point of view, but even for people who want to go away on holidays. There's nothing like flying out of, but more importantly, there's nothing like flying back into Cork Airport and knowing that you're just down the road from uh, home. Anyway, the story that's making the papers uh, today in the Irish Independent with Paul O'Donoghue is that the airport is in talks with different airlines about the possibility of opening up a direct route to New York. Now, the DAA, that's the state body that runs both Cork Airport and Dublin Airport, they say the opening up of this route could happen within the next three years. So it isn't something that they're going to be announcing instantly. But within the next three years, Cork Airport, it seems, has already made a submission to the government's mid-term review of regional airports in which it says it is now looking for a direct link to the United States. And while we know the airport is well served to a number of European destinations, it's now been identified that there is demand for transatlantic flights out of Cork. And primarily, it seems to be people want to fly in and out of uh, New York. So there's dialogue now going on with the airlines and they're continuing to pursue it, obviously, on commercial grounds. They have to make sure that it makes commercial sense. And a spokesperson for the DAA confirmed Cork Airport is still in discussions with several potential partners about opening up this route. However, the spokesperson says... It was likely a medium-term project. And, of course, what is a medium-term project? That's where they're saying it would be at least three years in the time frame in putting it all uh, together. And in January of this year, actually, uh, Cork Chamber, they published a survey of their members. And obviously, they're looking at it from a business uh, point of view. And they found that New York was by far the most in demand for a new direct destination out of Cork to America. The poll, which was carried out in cooperation with Cork Airport, asked businesses about their current travel patterns, but they also asked them what would be their future route preferences. And their survey found that the Americas was the final destination for 75% of all of the long-haul trips out of Cork taken by businesses and New York was the most desired airport for future connectivity from uh, Cork. And Conor Healy, he's the uh, CEO of the Cork Chamber. He said the results of the survey undeniably uh, would, uh, undeniably, and said new routes to key business uh, locations will be required to support continued economic growth into the Cork region. And of course, Irish air, air, airports are already expanding um, all of the airports are expanding and there are increased increased direct links. 
to the Americas and this obviously is an effort to try to expand their offerings and to attract new passengers and of course by putting on these flights as well it's good for business and it's good for uh, Irish people who might want to go to the States but it also works the other way if we bring tourists uh, into this uh, country but as I say other airports are exploring uh, different routes in and out of the country and seemingly in May of this year uh, the DAA started exploratory talks with an an airline called LATAM never heard of them before but seemingly they're the biggest airline in Latin America and they're looking at the possibility of a route from Dublin airport to Brazil. So that would uh, certainly open up South America out of Ireland but I think a lot of people would like the idea of being able to go to Cork airport and hop on a plane that would take you on a transatlantic uh, flight to America. Now I know what a, what a number of people do is they'll, they'll fly out of Cork and they'll go back the other way over to the UK in order to go over uh, on a transatlantic uh, flight. Many people do that rather than, rather than flying out of Dublin. We also of course have uh, Shannon but it would be terrific to have a flight to New York out of Cork. 0818-103-103. Bernie's taking your calls uh, this morning. Text and WhatsApps are available at 0862-103-103. Harry in the city says, is it not further proof that we simply need more Gardaí out on the beat? And he is reflecting on the story of this vicious attack on a US uh, tourist on the streets of uh, Dublin this week. This is a really, really frightening uh, story. Now, when I was reading about it in the papers today, one journalist is describing the gang that attacked this US tourist who's now been left with life-changing injuries. They described him as a feral gang. And see me, this feral gang have been behind a number of other violent attacks in the Dublin city centre. He, the, the US tourist is a 57-year-old man. He remains in a serious but stable condition in hospital. He was punched and kicked in the head after being knocked to the ground. He was on Talbot Street, it's in the city centre, on Wednesday night of this week. Now, seemingly it was about 20 to 11 and the man left the uh, accommodation where he was staying and it was then described as an extremely violent and unprovoked attack. The man hadn't done anything, hadn't said anything to this gang. They literally just set upon him. The victim has suffered serious eye and head injuries and doctors in Beaumont Hospital are continuing to assess that there may be long-term brain injuries. Isn't that the image this does for us as a tourist destination uh, as well? Uh, Detectives are now reviewing CCTV footage from the area. They're taking witness statements and they believe that the three youths who were centrally involved in uh, the attack, that there was three main young guys involved, but they were present with a larger gang of young people. Sources say this group is believed to be the same individuals responsible for other attacks in the area in recent weeks and months. And it looks like they've been doing it and just getting away with it. Uh, they're described, one source says, it's a group of about 20 local youths. They've been going around assaulting people throughout the summer in and around the city centre. All of the assaults are are unprovoked and they literally roam the streets looking to start fights with innocent people. One source said they are simply out of control. Now, no arrests have yet been made. 
in relation to Wednesday night's attack. Although the Gardaí say, look, they're making good progress in identifying all of the suspects and they do expect to make arrests. The Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, uh, she's promised a tough and a firm response to the violent uh, attack. And it happened. This is the cheekiness of this uh, group and the brazenness of this group. It happened within metres of Store Street Garda Station. Imagine attacking an, an innocent man like that who had just popped out for a breath of fresh air uh, out of his uh, his um, accommodation and then to get set upon by this gang and they would know that there was a Garda Station within metres of the attack but that didn't uh, stop them. Helen McEntee said it must be condemned in the strongest terms and said that there can be no excuse for such violence and such intimidation. She said a tough and a firm response will send out the message that this will not be uh, tolerated and that we won't tolerate thuggery on our streets. But the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, she was actually only last weekend criticised by the Fianna Fáil TD, Willie O'Dea. Willie O'Dea criticised her, for he said, for her lack of focus on addressing street crime and antisocial behaviour. He said the public want Helen McEntee to focus more on delivering safe streets than on what he says is playing to the woke gallery. He said every minute spent pushing what he described as a flawed hate bill are allowing Gardaí who are pursuing criminals to be investigated uh, and that he said is um, is just waste of uh, time. So he wants her to get tougher with these public order incidents that are happening and actually only this morning I saw the Dáil Deputy Jim uh, O'Callaghan who would be a TD for that area uh, in the city centre. He said that law- lawlessness in the inner city has been a problem for uh, a number of years and he says we have to stamp out this criminality because it's just now people are not feeling safe on the streets. But he directly pointed, I suppose, to what Henry F- Harry from the city contacted us about this morning, saying, is this not proof that we need more Gardaí on the street? Jim O'Callaghan this morning was saying that if you look at the number of Gardaí that we have today, it's the same as the number of Gardaí that we had 20 years ago. But if you compare our population base 20 years ago to today, it's very different. So we simply don't have enough Gardaí. And we know there's a current recruitment of uh, Gardaí uh, and there's been loads of funding put into it, but they can't get people to uh, sign up. And then the issue that we addressed with the GRA uh, this week is people are leaving. People who are, once they have their years done, rather than stay on until retirement age, which in the past many members of Angarda Siakona would do, now they're getting out as soon as they can. And even some of the younger Gardaí, when they go in uh, to the force, they realise, no, this is not for me, and they're leaving uh, as well. So we definitely have a problem with not just recruitment, but we definitely have a problem with retention as well. And we need to be getting more Gardaí. And then when we get the Gardaí, we need to give give them the proper powers and we need to have them out on the streets patrolling. Um, 0818103103. And listen, our thoughts are with that man, that 57-year-old American tourist. And we do hope that he makes uh, a full recovery. But I mean, to hear that he it's looking like he's life-changing uh, injuries, the poor guy. It really is unacceptable. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. 
Cork Today on C103. Now we're having problems getting through to, we're hoping to speak with uh, Denise O'Sullivan's uh, sister Sinead, but she's not uh, picking up yet. But we will uh, endeavour to keep trying. In the meantime, some of your thoughts coming in on the match uh, yesterday. Uh, Somebody says, Patricia, I was very proud to be an Irish grandmother yesterday and had my little flag flying high for the girls. They really did us uh, proud. And it would be lovely to see more bunting and flags out for the girls as well. I know areas where any of the girls come from, you know, those particular neighbourhoods have been really good about putting up the flags. But, uh, you know, when the Irish boys were over at the World Cup, there was much more flags out. We need to get behind uh, the ladies as well. Jim says, well done to the Irish ladies on what was a great performance yesterday. And they were just so unlucky uh, with the penalty as Shiva had her eyes on the ball and it was a clumsy challenge. And she was distraught on the bench after being taken off later. Well done to our own Denise O'Sullivan and Megan Connolly and as Katie McCabe was a role model and a credit to Tala as Denise is to Nahini and Anne O'Connor who played with Ireland underage and could be at the World Cup if she, st- if she had stuck with soccer but she stayed with Camogie and she's very talented there as well. Hopefully Ireland can get a result against Canada who of course we now know drew with we now know they, uh, they're after drawing with Nigeria this morning and hopefully beat Nigeria and then we qualify out of the group and that as somebody else is pointing that out actually that's opened it up completely the fact that that result has just come in that Nigeria has drawn nil all with uh, Canada so it's thrown the group wide open and I think Vera Pau and the rest of the girls will take great comfort uh, from that when they when they would have seen that exact uh, result 0818 a couple of people commenting when I mentioned about that poor man in Dublin that uh, tourist just gone out for a breath of fresh air 20 to 11 in the evening time outside of a little stroll and literally he wasn't far from the guest house where he was staying when he was set upon by I can't get over a group of youths being described as a feral gang it doesn't that goodness it just conjures up uh, a group of young fellas and I don't know if there's girls involved as well it seems to be young boys but just completely out of control to have them described as uh, feral. Maura says our tourism and hospitality industry is already in enough trouble. This is absolutely terrible to hear this story. I hope that man will get better. This is an absolute disgrace says uh, Maura. And then on what I mentioned about Cork Airport and the possibility that we could end up getting flights from Cork Airport to New York. It's what's been looked at. Now, it's um, what they described as a medium-term project. And I had to look into what they meant by a medium-term project. It would be at least three years. So it's not going to be something that we're going to be suddenly announcing for Cork Airport that uh, suddenly there's flights. It will take quite some time. A West Cork listener is wondering, though, if that be the case, do they not need to have much bigger planes to take on a transatlantic flight? Will they not need a longer runway? And what about earplugs? Will earplugs for the local residents, I would hate to live near, near an airport, says the West Cork listener. Well, there was work done on the runway. Do you remember when the airport closed 
there for a number of uh, months and I'm sure I'm open to correction I'd have to I'd have to check back in it again but I'm sure when the work was done on the runway that was one of the plans for it that the runway when they did the work it would be able to take planes capable of transatlantic uh, flights so no I don't think there's going to have to be any extra work done on the runway but would they be larger planes yes uh, I imagine for sure Jar says uh, good morning Patricia Cork Airport and getting there from Mallow is the issue I would like to raise this morning it involves the express bus to Cork City getting off that bus and get, get, getting on another bus from Cork heading out to the airport. The bus from the city used to go from the bus station, but now that's been relegated to a nearby road. There's no bus stop indicator at this bus stop and no shelter either. The bus times vary, but if I'm lucky, it's every 30 minutes. I travel at least 12 times a year from Ireland to the UK. I've options to go via Shannon and get the express bus from Mallow, which would bring me right to the door of Shannon Airport. The airport might look into this bus service as it risks losing passengers to other airports. So a bus with a, a bus that would do pick up in Mallow but would drop people straight to the airport in uh, to Cork Airport to the front door of uh, departures. People's thoughts on that please 0818 103 103. Let me go to some emails that have come in to the programme this week. Anybody having problems with the NDLS service you know where you go for your driver's licence because we hear nothing but good things from the NDLS when people have to go in there on an appointment and people saying how helpful and friendly uh, the staff are but this is a problem that one of our listeners uh, is having and I'm wondering if you could call this out to see is anybody else having similar problems says our, our listener um, the problem I'm having is with them issuing a driver's licence for my son it seems to have got lost in the post which was something I hadn't heard of I then had to get a D201 replacement licence form which had to be signed by the guards And then they said they didn't receive that. So I had to get another one and this time I registered it. This saga has been going on since April. My son can't start his lessons without his provisional licence. I can't insure him on my car without his provisional licence. He does have a tractor licence and he went in to the NDL office in Mallow to add the car onto this and that was in April. He's starting college in September in Kilkenny and he wants to get driving. God knows it's hard enough for young people to get started, especially since the Clancy Law was introduced. And of course, that means that the, the everyone must have a qualified driver with them when they're you know when they have their L plates up anyway we live in the countryside so having a driving licence is important the NDLS office doesn't seem to know what is going on and I'm tired of phoning them my daughter did go down the route of mygov.ie she has since passed her test she's got her N driving licence within a week of my uh, within a week my son can't even get started I'm wondering are any, anybody else having problems or issues with the NDLS and it's to do with the, the, that first provisional licence anybody else having problems or if you did have problems how do you get around it if you can point our listener in the direction for her son so that we might be able to get this sorted out particularly before he goes to college in September 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 Now the price of a pint and a drop of whiskey in the pub all set for another increase as both Diageo 
and Irish distillers say they're going to be rising their prices from next month to get the reaction from the Vintners Federation of Ireland who of course represent pubs outside of Dublin. I'm joined by Cork Chairman and that's Michael O'Donovan. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning Patricia. Uh, Good to talk to you. We haven't spoken uh, uh, in a while. Uh, Is this the worst timing for any kind of increases? Because you know we've got this ongoing cost of living crisis and we're right bang in the middle of the tourist season. Yeah look there's there's probably never a good time to hear of increases Patricia but this is probably um, the worst possible time um, you know for for many of our members that are very dependent on the tourist season uh, they have probably 10-12 weeks to make their uh, yearly you know living uh, because they have to get through the winter the lean months for them and an increase now coming on the 14th of August from Diageo of 4 cents plus fat is definitely not what they want to hear because uh, Diageo already raised the price, you know, 12 cents plus fat back on the 1st of February. And so to have these two increases in the one calendar year is a, is a real blow. And like we've never experienced such um, such a, a rise, you know, in normally when Diageo go up, it's normally four, six, eight cents, uh, but to go up uh, 16 cents plus fat in the calendar year, it, it's unprecedented really. Yeah, and of course, everyone thinks Diageo, everyone thinks, oh, that's Guinness, but it's not just Guinness that no, will go up? it's all their draft portfolio is going up on the 14th of August. So Guinness, Rockshore, Carlsberg, Hophouse 13, Smithics, uh, Harp, um, all their draft product range is, is increasing on the 14th of, uh, of August. So, you know, it's the last you know, couple of weeks of the tourist season and even for those that aren't dependent on on the tourists, you know, we've seen over the last number of months uh, and hearing it on the ground, um, people are very dependent this summer on uh, the domestic tourist and the domestic tourist is being squeezed with the cost of living, rising mortgage repayments. So the, the, the overall spend is a bit down, you know, they're saying people on the ground, the numbers look good, but the overall spend isn't uh, the same as other years. So that goes to um, allude that people just don't have the disposable income to spend. And now with prices increasing again, it's just not what we wanted at this time. And what, what are Irish distillers saying? Are they going for an increase as well? They are. They're going for an increase as well. And again, they're citing rising uh, business costs. Um it's you know we're all having rising business costs and um i suppose what we've seen over the last six eight weeks especially on the electricity and the gas front is it it has seemed to turn a corner and it's coming down now it's still at an all-time high uh compared to 2019 we're probably 50 60 percent higher uh prices than what we saw in 2019 but compared to the high of February, March, April, uh, it has come down a little bit um, and we'd hope that that trend will start to continue and we will see prices of our electricity and gas start to come back towards 2019 prices. But uh, our sitters are citing the same business input costs, um, which, you know, for such big companies, Perno Ricard that own Irish distillers, Diageo, um, they, they they make multi-million euro profits for their shareholders every year. And uh, at this late stage, we're still appealing to them to please reconsider this increase because it's just ill-timed at where we are at the moment. We've, we're just kind of rebounding and coming out of, you know, a tough winter where we saw 
huge price increases and to have another price increase now it's it's just not the right time we think to to be doing it when we're trying to get a bit of stability uh give people you know um the choice to come out and enjoy themselves and this is what's going on again it's it's just not the right time to be doing this and yesterday i spoke about the vat for the hospitality sector going back up to 13.5% from the, the reduced 9%. That, of course, affects... That's, it's like a perfect storm, isn't it, for, for vintners? It is uh, for those that are doing food um, on September 1. It seems now that it's uh, inevitable that the 9% VAT rate will revert back to the 13.5%. It's legislated for... It's highly unlikely that we're going to see it all uh, um, recalled in the next five weeks to change that legislation. So, unfortunately, um, we've been lobbying our TDs and ministers over the last number of weeks, but uh, seeing that it's legislated and they're after breaking for their summer uh, recess, their summer holidays, it's now highly unlikely that that is going to be changed. Um, So on September 1, uh, the hospitality VAT rate for hospitality and hairdressers will revert to 13.5%, which... Obviously, isn't great for businesses at the moment because they'll have uh, higher VAT bills to pay at the end of each month, uh, causing more, you know, I suppose, cash flow trouble for their business. So if they're, if if any business out there is struggling, uh, this will add more worry to them because they'll have a, a higher tax bill at the end of the month. Yeah, and and are, are and pubs are really only starting to recover, aren't they, with all of the COVID shutdowns and everything that's been going on over the last number of years. Yeah, look, uh, Patricia, unfortunately, we're still seeing uh, month on month. There's, there's um, here in Cork, even there's, there's a pub a month kind of closing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we're, we're losing members. They're just citing, you know, with the high business costs, uh, with less people coming out, they're, they're calling it a day. So, you know, some people out there think that being in the pub business, you've great cash flow, that it's, uh, that it's a great business to be in. If it was a great business, if it is a great business, we wouldn't be seeing these pubs closing month on month. And it doesn't matter where they are. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's just indicative of the times that we're in that they're, they're disappearing. And look, uh, I've been saying it for a while. It's not uh, like, say, 20 years ago, the pub was in competition with the pub up the road, the pub down the road. Now, the biggest competition that a pub has is the kitchen and living room um, because the choice that they have from the supermarket, um, it's nearly easier for somebody to stay in on a night. And, you know, we have to give them value for coming out. Um, And I think we give them a great experience. And, you know, it's meeting up and the socialisation, which just can't be done. And uh, that socialisation, Michael, is so important. It is. It's so important and look, it creates jobs and it uh, gives livelihoods to people. But unfortunately, there's um, there's a growing trend that pubs are starting to disappear. And the fear is, you know, that this trend will continue and <clears throat> possibly get worse. And that's why uh, any increase like this from Diageo or any of the companies is such a hammer blow to our trade at the moment. Yeah, somebody's saying, is that there's, uh, someone said I was talking to a publican last night about the increase in the pint and she said uh, she expects there's going to be another one around Christmas. Um, look, I can't answer that at the moment, can't say. But look, what I would say is for the likes of Diageo to move twice in one year, you know, having already put it up in February and putting it up now again in August, uh, I think it would be highly unlikely that we would see uh, another one. Now, nobody has a crystal ball and we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, uh, electricity and gas bills 
in the in the winter months. But if I was sitting where I am now and looking into the future, I would be thinking that it would be unlikely that we would see another increase uh, this side mm. of the of the new year. Um, I don't think that they. I if if they do it, it would be it would be catastrophic for our trade, and I think they're well aware of that as well. Yeah, and with margins running very tight, uh, Michael, I'm assuming very few publicans would be able to absorb these increases. Yeah, look, it's something we've been actually, I've been talking with publicans yesterday and the evening before about, and um, some are saying, you know, that they are going to absorb this price increase simply because they feel that passing it on to the uh, consumer is just, it, it, it would be a negative effect for them. Uh, other publicans are saying, you know, they're, as you just alluded to, they're they're making so fine a margin at the moment. They're fighting to survive. They just can't absorb any price increase. So it just depends where your business is and where you're at in it. Because um, you know, like as you said, the VAT rate is increasing. Uh, the, the 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 warehousing of tax at the moment, publicans are repaying that as well from the COVID era. So it's just a a perfect storm that repayments uh, are are high at the moment for pubs interest uh, rates and mortgages have gone up so there's another squeeze on a lot of publicans and 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 a lot of businesses so it's just the perfect storm at the moment and you know talking to most publicans it's just a fight to survive at the moment and see uh, you know to, to hopefully get to this time next year and see better pastures ahead yeah and what is the price of a pint the average price at the moment uh, the the average price around the country at the moment for a pint of stout say is 540 Five forty. All right. So you expect yeah. that to go to five fifty next month? Yeah, that would be the for the average. Obviously, there'll be there'll be you know pubs that charge more than that. There'll be pubs that charge that's away the less average, than that. But, yeah, but that's yeah. the average price around the country is five forty. So, um, so yeah, they'll look. Uh, I suppose publicans will have to make their own decision for their own business um, of what they have to do. But that is the expectation that uh, it would increase by somewhere around the ten cent. Uh, if they're going to increase the price of a pint of Guinness or Rockshore or Carlsberg from the 14th of August. All right, Jenny says this is crazy to be doing this in August. August is right back in the middle of the tourist season. Tourists will go away feeling that they have been ripped off yet again. Yeah, I mean, that's more to do with the timing of it. It's, you know, in the middle of what should be, as you say, one of your busiest times. Yeah, look, the middle of August, 14th of August, it's kind of possibly the second last week of the the tourist season or the major tourist season you'd say uh, people will be looking at going back to school and look if you go out for a night uh, and have a couple of points you'll say it's only 30 40 cents but like if you're if you're going out three or four nights a week you know it it, it mounts up and it's not uh, it's 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 not what we're looking for right now is an increase uh, when we're trying to give people value for money and you know give them a good night out and entertain them um, you know, moving it in August, there's never a good time to do it, but I think this is a particularly poor timing to be doing it in the middle of August. OK, all right. Listen, Michael, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan. And Michael is Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland with the, the news. Uh, your, your price of your pint and your drop of whiskey will be going up from the uh, beginning of uh, August. 0818103103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862. 103-103. And on the price of the pint and on spirits going up, all in Dungarvan said buyers and wholesalers.
wholesalers will now start ordering in in bulk at the old price and then they'll lash it out to consumers on the 14th of August at the new uh, price. And uh, this was the texter who was chatting with the publican last night who is fearful about the increase and is also worried that there could be another increase around Christmas even though Michael uh, O'Donovan reckons that there's no way Diageo could go down that route but we never know. Anyway, uh, texter says some people used to say that they would keep drinking a pint until it say it reached a price of four or five euro. euro. But the price of the pint now has well gone over five euro. It can be five euro thirty I think Michael told us 5.40 is the average around the country. Now you will get it cheaper and you will uh, get it dearer. This texter is wondering how much will it have to increase to before people will stop going out and buying a a pint? Uh, We will see more pubs closing as a result. Well, that's what the Vintners Federation are fearful of. The margins are so, so uh, short at the moment, are so small at the moment. Some of the larger publicans may be able to absorb the price increase, but certainly some of the smaller ones uh, will not. 0818103103, Bernie uh, taking your calls. And here's an email that we got into the programme yesterday. Now, I didn't get to it yesterday because we wanted to do some follow-ups and see if we could help out this uh, mother uh, in some ways. Of course, you can always uh, contact the programme Cork today at c103.ie. This came into us yesterday from Maria to say, Hello, I am the mother of a three-week-old baby. Firstly, congratulations, Marie, on the birth of your baby. Anyway, I chose to breastfeed him. But at the last checkup, I noticed that my child is gaining very little weight, just 50 grams in four days. That would mean over a month, he'd only be gaining 375 grams, which seems to me very little. In addition, my baby seems to be always hungry. And I am now starting to suspect that it's possible that I'm not attaching him to the breast correctly. Or I'm worrying that I simply don't have enough milk for him to be satisfied. At first, my baby eats a little, quite actively. Then he gets more passive. And then in the end, he simply falls asleep. After a short time, then he'll wake up and he'll be crying very loudly because he is still hungry. Can you please help me understand what I should do and how how I should proceed? Because I'm worried that I am not doing something right. Thanking you. And there's so many mothers listening who breastfed over the years who will be able to identify uh, with that comment that worried that you're not doing the right thing. You're certainly doing the right thing by your baby uh, for breastfeeding, for sure. Now, I'm assuming... That Maria doesn't have family contacts living anywhere near her or anyone, kind of a support mechanism. Not everybody does, particularly if, the, if you're new to an area. Uh, so we, we made contact with Maria just to find out where she was emailing us from. All we'll say is that she's in the North Cork area. What we did then was we tried to uh, find... Uh, support groups for breastfeeding mothers in that area of North Cork and we've passed on that information to her and we have asked her to revert back uh, to us but we wanted to make contact with uh, some of those groups but we said we'd put it out on the radio uh, for Maria because that's what she wanted us uh, to do to to other mothers particularly in the North Cork area maybe you're breastfeeding yourself at the moment or breastfeeding in the past where did you go for support 
and where did you find the best kind of uh, support? Uh, because what happens with in, in the hospitals can be extremely busy and they do help the mothers, but you don't stay very long in a hospital anymore. And if it's your first baby and you're going home and you're new to an area and you don't have family living nearby, um, you know, and you don't have friends around, particularly maybe friends that have breastfed before, before, I mean, to me, when you're breastfeeding, you know, probably the best is if your mum breastfed and she would be there to help you out. But that isn't always the case. Or if you have friends who had been breastfeeding, they would be able to uh, help you out. But it's just that sense of feeling that you're not doing the right thing and how many mothers on a first baby will say that they go through that. They wake up in the middle of the night everybody thinking oh my god am I doing the right thing and you can read all the books and do all of the research that you try to do in advance of baby being born but they don't come with a manual and a lot of it is instinct and just knowing that you're doing the right thing but you have reached out and as I say we are we have found some support groups I was wondering there isn't a lecture league I thought maybe there'd be in a lecture league uh, in the area where Maria contacted us from that doesn't appear to be as far as I know I think the HSC are very good as well about setting up uh, support groups. Ideally, if there was a kind of a mother and toddler group uh, maybe that does, you know, breastfeeding classes, maybe something like that. I know my own in my own GP uh, practice, there's a nurse there that offers breastfeeding uh, support. So I don't know if Maria's, I don't know who Maria's GP uh, is, but um, certainly she's reaching out for help. So let's see if we can help her. If anybody has advice for Maria, please contact us. Bernie is taking the calls 0818 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp in as well to 0862 103 103. Okay, we're going to take a break and we have news at 11 on the way. And in the next hour, we're going to be discussing fertility, which for some people can be a taboo subject and people don't like to talk about it. But the reality is that there are many couples really, really battling to try and get pregnant and battling with fertility issues. So we hear from one mum who shares her story of her fertility journey. Thank you uh, to some really kind people who are offering uh, words of advice and telephone numbers from Maria who contacted us, uh, a new uh, mum with a three-week-old baby and uh, starting to think that she's not producing enough milk and that her baby is constantly hungry and she doesn't know if she's doing the breastfeeding right and she's really in a little bit of a pickle. A number of people are sending on uh, in Mallow um, a lactation uh, specialist and we've got the phone numbers there. Somebody else uh, was giving us details of breastfeeding support groups that are available in the North Cork area including in Newmarket, Canturk and Mill Street even though that was back in to 2018, so I don't know if they're still available or not, but thank you. People are being extremely kind and extremely understanding, I think, of what poor Maria is going through, including a mum who says, Hi Patricia, I had to take uh, my twin girl baby Kate to hospital as she wasn't putting on weight. As it turned out, it was the teeth on the bottle was too slow flow. I was expressing for the first six six weeks and I just did not have a good milk supply either. Please advise Maria, your listener, to get proper care for the baby, uh, that for her baby's needs and do it ASAP. Baby Kate, by the way, took off on the faster flowing uh, teeth and we were home after 48 uh, hours. And I suppose if it was if it was, a, it was a twin, you would want to compare it with. So you're, you're seeing that one, is, one is, seems to be thriving and one doesn't. So you were able to see that one was putting on weight 
and one uh, wasn't. Uh, so thank you for that. But yeah, that's exactly what we've been saying to Maria. We've put it, we've put her in contact with lots of uh, support groups, but yeah, to check back in with a public health nurse or her doctor because uh, you, you don't want that to go on too long, uh, particularly if the child doesn't appear to be putting on weight. So thank you, as I say, uh, to people who have contacted us about that. Then some other issues that are coming into us this morning. Martin is in East Cork and he's given out this morning. He says they, the powers that be, the government, they're pumping money into new greenways, underpasses and overpasses for farmers. Yet they have withdrawn funding from the Middleton to Carriga Line dual carriageway that is so badly needed. And also he says that there is funding been withdrawn from Bantry Hospital. Uh, why do they seem to always have loads of money to spend on greenways but other very important projects they never seem to have money or they put them all on the back burner. On the price of a drink uh, Joan uh, says uh, now she does admit that she is a pioneer and this is answer to the question at what price does the pint have to go to before people will give it up it was, it was Jim one of our listeners was saying one, you know, at one stage people said oh if it hits five euro I'll never drink a pint again if it hits five euro. Of course we know it's gone well over five euro uh, now. Joan says there are some men and Joan it can be women as well who will never stop drinking no matter what, how much it costs and Joan is thinking of the children who go hungry if they live in a household with uh, an alcoholic and I suppose uh, you could liken it as well to the price of a packet of cigarettes at one stage it used to be oh if the price of a packet of cigarettes goes to a fiver I'll give up the cigarettes and some people did actually, some people were very influenced by uh, price but there are other smokers who will say no matter how much they put them up and they're gone really expensive uh, now. I don't, thankfully, I don't buy, I don't smoke anymore, but I don't know what the price of a packet of cigarettes is, but I think it's close to 20 euros. Is, is it close enough to that now? Anyway, um, but there are people who literally are so addicted to cigarettes that no matter the no matter what the price goes to, they'll find the money uh, somehow. Then we've had a couple of people on to us about the civic community site in Mallow. This was kicked off by a listener who says, Patricia, could you find out why the Mallow Recycling Centre appears to be closed today? On the website it says it's open. It opens on Friday. There are cars outside and there are cars coming all of the time. I've tried ringing. I'm getting no uh, reply. Boot full, boots full with puzzled drivers driving up to the civic community uh, site and uh, nothing seems to be happening. And then someone else pointed out, um, Anne was also in the queue at the at, for Mallow Recycling. And she said about four cars came in behind us. So they were all queuing waiting to get in with the gates closed. But Anne said the workers' cars are inside the gates. So there are workers there. She said there's builders showing up with trailers trying to get their trailers uh, emptied and there's no sign on the gate saying that the site is closed except that it's it's locked and they can't make contact uh, with anyone. Now we again we straight away tried to ring but as a couple of people have said to us they're not answering uh, the phone so what we've done now is we've gotten on to a local councillor in uh, Mallow, James Kennedy and he's going to look into it for us. We've also sent an email off to a Cork County Council but you know they don't instantly respond except they get a lot of emails we just get the automated one back saying you know thank you for contacting us so I think the quicker way to do it is to try to get through to a councillor to find out what what is happening because it's the one thing we say our civic community sites 
I'm always bigging them up because I think they are a fantastic service. The people that work out there are so, so friendly and helpful. They're always spotlessly clean. They're always so well run. They really are exceptional. And I'd love to see more people using our civic amenity sites. And we know that over the years, and it was to do with the number of workers with the council, they've had to reduce the hours of the civic amenity site. So we always say to people, when you're going to your local civic amenity site, go online because there'll be a calendar up online showing what days your civic community site opens and what days it's going to be closed because there's nothing more frustrating than loading up the boot of a car with items that you want to recycle to get out to the civic community site to discover you've arrived on a day that it's closed. It's happened to me and you've nearly been kicking yourself. It really is frustrating. But today, Friday, the civic community site in Mallow should be open. So I don't quite know what's going on, especially when I'm hearing that the workers are there and that they're... So whether something's gone wrong inside, I don't know. But anyway, listen, we'll, we'll see if we can try to get the bot- to the bottom of it. But we give it out as a warning to anyone who might have been planning on going along in the next hour or two. Hold off until we know for sure what is happening and if it is going to open or not uh, today. And Charlie was on, this is about the match yesterday. He feels they should have started Amanda Barry in the second half yesterday. He said, remember, Amanda Barry scored against Scotland. That was the match and that was the goal that got us to the World Cup. And while Charlie was on the line, he wants to stick with the ladies and the sports and he wants to wish the best of luck to the Cork, Camogie and football teams for next weekend. Thank you for your call, uh, Charlie, to 0818 uh, 103 103. And can I wish the best of luck to Cork actress Siobhan Mac Sweeney. Siobhan is raffling Uh, the dress that she wore when she went along earlier this year to pick up her BAFTA award. Remember, uh, Siobhan stood out, I have to say. She stood out on the red carpet, but she stood out on the TV as well when she accepted her uh, BAFTA because she had this amazing red vinyl dress and she has decided to auction it. Well, it's raffle. It's not an auction. It's a raffle. She's raffling it uh, and the raffle is going to be held today and she's giving all of the proceeds to the wonderful Marymount uh, Hospice. So it is your last chance to buy a ticket. The tickets are €20 each and the dress gets raffled at half past one today. And the fact that she's put it online, it's open worldwide. So the dress, this red vinyl dress could go uh, anywhere. And of course, Siobhan, uh, we all know and love Siobhan for her various roles. But the one that is closest to my heart is her role as uh, Sister Michael in the in Derry Girls. I mean, she's just fantastic uh, in that. And um, when she went to pick up her award, actually, she was talking about uh, Sister Michael and she um, she said if you remember in the speech she was talking about her mother and she said as her mother lay dying in Cork one of the last things her mother said to her was would you not consider retraining as a teacher and then she said if you could see me now getting a BAFTA for playing a teacher joke on you <laughs> And everyone, that went down uh, so well. And of course, there was a bit of controversy around Siobhan's acceptance uh, speech. And there was a bit of criticism pointed at the BBC because they cut short the speech that we got to see on the television. And that was her having a pop 
off the politicians in Northern Ireland where she told them to wise up. Now the BBC at the time say, said the edit was nothing to do with Siobhan being political. It was to do with the time constraints but a lot of people said no it wasn't. It was to do with her having a pop off the politicians and obviously Mary Hospice absolutely excited and thrilled of this really really generous uh, fundraiser that Siobhan has done. So your last chance if you haven't bought a ticket yet to buy a ticket and you could be winning that bright red vinyl dress that was worn at the Baptist and that actually got to be photographed. She's photographed wearing the dress, obviously, with her BAFTA in her hand. 0818 103 103. Bernie is taking your calls this morning. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Construction worker is wanted for general concrete and machinery driving. That's in the Canturk area, 086. 4179350. Caretaker wanted for Jermina GAA field and the grounds. Now it's a community employment position. You can full details by emailing Evelyn O'Keefe and Evelyn's email address is Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie. The Wild Time restaurant in Busfront, they're looking for a part-time relief chef. It's to cover holidays, now mainly Saturdays and Sundays. CVs please to emma.quaid2005 at hotmail.com and a stores slash salesperson with a knowledge of mechanics and agri-equipment is wanted for a busy parts department in the Mallow area. It may suit a part-time farmer as flexible hours are available. Uh, you can email sales at technicnix.ie for further details. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. Now, this is Fertility Awareness a Week and a recent report from the World Health Organization said that 17.5% of the adult population will experience infertility. Now, that is a lot of people. Uh, Sims uh, IVF, a leading fertility provider, are aiming to break down stigma around fertility by discussing the issue and getting patients to share their stories. So this morning, Nicola Pilsen joins me to talk about her fertility uh, journey. Good morning to you, Nicola. And Nicola, as for some reason, is gone unmuted on her side. And I don't know why that is. She's there. You're there. Hi, Nicola. Hi, can, can you, you hear he- me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you were unmuted there for a moment. Can you hear me OK? Yeah, I can hear you. OK, yeah. all right. OK, uh, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, uh, firstly, to say you and uh, Anthony are very proud parents to two beautiful children. So congratulations there. But I suppose I need to take you back to when did you realise that getting pregnant might not be as easy as you had thought it would be? Um, yeah, probably a number of years ago, um, just when we first started talking about having kids, um, I suffer from PCOS, so I wouldn't overly, um, normally I wouldn't have regular periods, so it was hard to track. And I just went, we both went to the GP um, to get some tests done, and really from, we just got blood work done, um, and then we just got told that maybe it was something that we're think, thinking about to we got referred to a fertility specialist you know just to get some testing done just to see if everything was okay um so we went to sims um and we both got tests various different tests done 
and then unfortunately they came back with um, some problems on both sides. So I had like a low egg count um, and quality and then same with Anthony, um, he had a low count as well. So really we were told that, you know, to conceive naturally was probably never going to happen, you know, be very difficult. So the option was IVF for us at the time. Um, and then, yeah, so really that was a couple of years ago and, and then we that, went straight in. Was that, de- was, that, was, was that devastating to hear that you wouldn't be able to conceive naturally or was it something that had always been at the back of your mind because you suffered from, uh, P- from what was it, PCOS? Uh, uh, P- uh, PCOS, yeah, polycystic yeah. ovaries. Um, yeah, I think it was a shock. Um, I knew it would be difficult because I wasn't ovulating regularly and... Um, you know, I know people that have found it difficult um, that do have that to conceive. Um, so, yeah, I just think because of fertility clinic and no IVF, I didn't know anything about IVF, didn't know, um, you know, what was involved um, cost wise, procedure wise, anything. So it was definitely, you know, very scary at the time. And even financially, we didn't know what we were walking into. Um, so but we knew, you know, that was our only option. Um you know that we had no choice really we were like no you know do you know what we'll give this a go we'll see what's going to happen and um yeah really from there then um, and did you do did you do what all of us would do at a time like that did you go straight on to google oh yeah and it was the worst thing i i tell people not to do it and i do it myself yeah um definitely the worst thing to do it's it, it yeah it was awful because things that were coming up and you know again it was sort of just a new world for us of going in even the different language used and different procedures and different things that we just yeah it's the worst thing and I think after we met our consultant and you know we had various different appointments um yeah it, it was yeah. it was different then which <laughs> it uh yeah so keep yeah. away keep away from the google I, th- I think is the best piece yes, of it, yes, uh, advice 100%. And, and and Nicola fertility and fertility issues and problems is it something you would ever discussed with family and friends at the time no um you know and to be honest you know even you know more recently you know obviously we're working with sims on this campaign we were embarrassed you know talking about it we just didn't know how to approach it with people um even when we went at the time pre-covid sitting in the waiting rooms we knew people in the waiting rooms um but everyone sort of kept their head down like wouldn't say hello do you not say hello you know because we all know we're there for the same reason it was just very strange looking back on it now um we'd no one to talk about we, know, we didn't know anyone that go, went through IVF and only probably through the years talking then more openly to family and friends you know they even were shocked of the process you know and didn't know and learned from you know each round that we went through and then I think myself and Anthony got more comfortable and offered our help to friends and family who knew people gave our number out um to people you know because we wish we had that at the start yeah. so I and think it has changed a little bit, but not enough. Yeah, and, and that's what this campaign and this Fertility Awareness Week is all about, Nicola, is getting yeah, people to yeah. have that conversation and to, to break down the stigma because there shouldn't be any stigma around this. People should no. be able to openly talk about, I'm having a bit of a problem, I need to go to a fertility uh, specialist and I'm on that journey. Yeah. 
yeah, exactly. And I and I think and that's we're very open and talking about it now to people and, you know, um, just just to create that awareness. And it's not it doesn't mean IVF for everyone that has difficulties. Like there's so many different options even before IVF when you go to fertility clinic. And I think that's probably what scares people like there's you know, just for us, that was our journey. But for many other couples um, out there or, you know, even single women or there's so many different options in terms of medication and they don't have to do the full cycle just they might need a bit, bit of help mm. um which um but just unfortunately there's a couple of options that wouldn't have worked for us so IVF was our only option okay um, and but yeah then, I think uh, getting people talking about it is is so important that's why I think what, what you're doing today is yeah. is fantastic because I know there will be people listening today who you will help so so well done how many attempts did it take before you finally became a mom oh um I say about probably three or four um, now because we, we went through various different, you know, cycles um, and we had to freeze our embryo. So we had to do the egg collection a couple of times because sometimes we didn't have any. Sometimes we had low numbers and then we put them on like the process is, is a long process. You know, you can freeze them and then you do a transfer. So it probably took us, um, yeah, a, a good few yeah. tries <laughs> um, over the years. Um, but e- each time, you know, the process was different. Everybody, everyone's body is different. The medication, the injections, um, just trial and error of, you know, of what works. Um, yeah, just listen to the body and, you know, obviously have that trust in the consultant um, of what works best for you. So I think, you know, every round was different protocols. And then finally, um, thankfully, we, we, we got the results. Yeah. So um, which but, de- but devastating when each tra- when each of those transfers doesn't work, I take it, is it? Oh, yeah. And even getting to that stage, sometimes you won't even get to a transfer, you know, because if, you know, if the embryo doesn't thaw properly after freezing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And then it just goes, or you don't have any embryos at the end of the cycle. Um, but thankfully, you know, when you get to the transfer stage and you, you get that little line on the test, and then you have to go for blood work to confirm um, oh yeah, it's worth it's worth everything. That just having that, you know, thinking that will never happen for you, and just you know, I think even our story, we we were told it would never happen, and now we've two we beautiful kids. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, it's so it's and, there is. And Nicola, uh, t- talk to me about Anthony. How hard did he find it watching what you had to go through? I mean, you, there's daily injections and things, isn't there? For example. Yeah, um, I think he found it because he couldn't come to all the appointments, um, you know, with work and, you know, everything. Um, he tried to come as, as many as he as he could. And obviously then with COVID, it was very restricted. Um, he found it very hard. And I think even, you know, openly talking about it that more recently, because my body's physically going through it, you know, and, and missing out on different events even, you know, because if you're when you're stimulating your ovaries, you can feel quite bloated and just like hormonal and like sometimes even when it gets it's painful you know when you get to the egg retrieval stage like I think he just felt a bit helpless at times and especially when you don't get the results you know it's being there for support I think 
I was physically going through it, but um, and he was helping me doing the injections, you know, right. rather than doing them myself. But he is just being there for each other. I, I de- he definitely felt, um, you know, he's very supportive. But he, because my body was physically going through it, he felt he could. He wanted to take some of that away, but he couldn't. Yeah, and of course, when the, when the you know the transfers don't work, and he's watching you, but he's going through a loss as well because he desperately wants to be a daddy. So you know, the, the men, yeah, that, that, that's there has it. to yeah, be consideration um, given to the men. Just, Exactly. Okay, so you have two. What's the age difference between the your two your two children? Um, so Layla's three, and then Mason is three months. Okay. So how quickly after, <laughs> after uh, Layla did you go for Mason? Uh, we, we were trying straight away. Were I mean, you? We had embryos there that yeah that well well after about six six seven months I think it was um, we did some transfers that because we had some frozen embryos and unfortunately they didn't work. Um, I did fall pregnant last January, um, but unfortunately that ended up in, in a miscarriage in March. Um, and so yeah, we were trying pretty much after my lady was six months, oh, and yuck. then um, yeah, it's. And now, but then, obviously, fortunately, then it, it worked again after the miscarriage. We did go again once medically, you know, we were okay. And then, um, yeah, then I fell pregnant with Mason. Okay. Um, so Congratulations to two gorgeous uh, children. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, Nicola, was when you were obviously trying to get pregnant and going through the fertility uh, journey and you don't tell everybody you're going to the, through it. The considerations that people need to think about when they're talking to couples, particularly, you know, this famous one when, when couples get married or they've been living together for a period yeah. of time. When are you going to have children? It's just... Uh, yeah. Did you go through all of that? Yeah, yeah, and we went through a lot of that at the start. um, And probably most commonly, you know, if people aren't drinking at weddings and stuff, you know, they assume, oh, you know, is there a baby on the way? And it's just getting that stigma around, you know, like, you know, a lot of people are going through this and they're not telling people they're probably trying to get pregnant or made the choice that they don't want kids. But, you know, a lot of obvious things of, you know, because when you're going through treatment, it can be hard. It can take a long time. Um, but yeah, you still have a lot of people, you know, asking the questions. As, you know, you know, when are you going to have it? Or straight away, when are you going to have another one? I know, or I know. What's going to happen? And it's yeah, yeah. It's, people need to it's just hard for yeah. engage your brain, folks, before you put your mouth yeah. into <laughs> in, into action. And just finally, I, I'm very conscious of mums and dads uh, listening at the moment who may be on this journey at the moment, or who are about or considering going on this journey. What, what is your advice uh, to anyone, Nicola? Um, I think just to have a support group around you, I think, I know, you know, I had Anthony, my family and friends and um, to be there, you know, it's, it can be tough, especially you know, with the different process and different outcomes and talk to people. I definitely think, um, you know, reach out to people, talk to them um, and just have that support around you. Um, and I think you just need to put yourself first if this is something that you want. Um, yeah, just, you know, there's so many different resources out there and um and just yeah just support one another and just yeah. try and talk to people about what you're going through um and there's people there to help i wish we had that at the start you know we didn't know anything about this and it would have been great to talk to people that went through something else you know, been something there similar, so. been there done it and bought the t-shirt and of course we still don't have i know they're talking about publicly funded uh, ivfs cost can be an issue for some couples 
Yeah, and yeah, that's it. And it's luckily like we were in a financial position that we could go straight away when we were told, you know, um, of our options. But unfortunately, you know, so many couples can't afford it and um, it can be a burden. And, you know, some people aren't successful on their first round. Some people are because one protocol for one couple might work for the next. So, again, the consultants are there to help give you your best chance. Um, which is brilliant, but sometimes it, it mightn't work on the first go. So, um, yeah, it's hopefully the, the government scheme will come soon um, and any bit of help, financial assistance to people would be great because, you know, that's another big burden for people. Um, you know, they just can't afford it and it's something that they want, but just financially that they can't afford. OK, and I can see a number of people saying, saying well done to Nicola for uh, speaking out. Somebody saying my daughter is going through it at the moment. Nobody at work knows what is going on. She's had a number of failed uh, IVF transfers so far and she's got work colleagues constantly on to her saying when are you going to have a baby? Nobody knows what's going on in her world. And that's the, that's the so upsetting part of all of this. Listen, Nicola, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And no lots of love so to much. you and, and your little family. And uh, thank Thank you for joining us this morning. No problem. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Nicola Pilson sharing her IVF uh, journey. And, and she is right. We do need more people to be talking about it. And by doing that, we break down the stigma. And there shouldn't be any stigma about discussing uh, fertility uh, issues. But by talking about it more, people get more educated on it and people find out more about the supports that are available. So thank you to Nicola uh, Pilson for joining us. Um, Pilson, uh, 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862103103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Today on C103. And scam alerts and the scams that are doing the rounds and the common ones that are keep coming back. This one is certainly doing the rounds again. And somebody said, just got this text. I'm presuming it's a scam. It's doing the rounds, so be careful. Delete, delete, delete. And this is the one that says, hey, ma'am, uh, texting you off a friend's phone. I broke my phone. I'm currently using an old phone. This is my new number. Please text me. And of course, that is a scam. And I can't get over the, the number of people that got cut, cut out with that one who do actually think that they're texting are in contact with one of their uh, sons or daughters. But like the idiotic thing is if, if, if you rang them, they won't answer the phone. They'll only text you because obviously they don't want to talk because they know as soon as they start to talk, you'll realise that it isn't your beloved son or daughter who's lost their phone. Or I got one last week to say that uh, my daughter had dropped her phone down the telephone or had dropped her phone down the loo and that she was texting from a friend's phone considering my child is deaf blind and can't use a mobile phone. I thought it was a bit of a miracle so I didn't obviously respond. John in Cove. Now regular listeners to the programme will know that our John in Cove has a kind of a certain attitude when it comes to Dare I say women working outside the home? He likes to think that women have a role to play and that the, their biggest role in life should be looking after the men folk. So he was on because he's heard us talking about how fantastic the ladies uh, footballers are doing in Australia. Well, they played so well yesterday and we're all disappointed that they went down on a 1-0 one, one to Australia but Australia's super team and they, they really showed their strength and their prowess and their feistiness and their skills on the pitch and it all bodes well for the rest of the tournament. But John has contacted us this morning. Now he does admit that he is not a sports fan and he said listening to everybody talking about the women's soccer team he said 
Would it not be better if those women that have gone all the way out to Australia, would it not be better if they were at home by the kitchen sink looking after family members rather than chasing a ball around a field? Now, I think that will possibly go down like a lead balloon with many females. But that's our John Incove who really doesn't change his attitude when it comes to women working outside of the home. Thank you for your call, John. 0818-103-103. Bernie's taking the calls. Texts and WhatsApps are up and running. 0862-103-103. Ours to Protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. This week on Hours to Protect, we look at how the ocean is threatened by overfishing, pollution and the destruction of coastal and deep sea habitats. However, the good news is that fish stocks can rebuild, critical natural habitats can be protected and pollution levels reduced. A coalition of leading NGOs and networks has revealed that Ireland can save its ocean biodiversity by spending approximately €55 million Euro between 2024 and 2030 to reach its targets of protecting 30% of our seas and ocean. Fair Seas has produced the Marine Protected Areas Finance Report in Europe, highlighting the cost to conserve and restore vital marine ecosystems, as well as identifying potential funding streams. Ifo Mani, Fair Seas Campaign Manager, says it's a first-of-its-kind report. We know the government is working on legislation at the moment. Once this legislation is enacted, we will have to move on to designation and management, and we will need to have funds to do this. We are calling on the government to consider how they are going to do this, and we hope they are going to take on board this new report. This is the first-of-its-kind report in Europe, highlighting how marine protected areas can be funded. We know we have a gap of 7 million in the next year, and we have identified that we need approximately 55 million to design, implement and manage our marine protected areas between now and 2030. We hope this report gives the government further information on opportunities available for financing these critical marine protected areas. Jack O'Donovan Tra, a Clannacilty native, is a marine biologist and Fair Seas Communications Officer. He says strictly protected MPAs and good management of our seas could be one of the most powerful tools Ireland has in fighting climate change, storing and sequestering carbon while supporting local business. However, he says it's political will that is standing in the way of this tool being utilised. And because we all need healthy seas, we need political action to ensure their health in the future. Marine protected areas are like national parks put into sea. And the Irish government has committed uh, under international obligations to protect 30% of Irish waters with these marine protected areas by 2030. So far, they are very far behind on their targets. They said they'd have 10% protected by 2020. However, in 2020, the government had only protected 2%. And when I say protected... They were protected on paper only, so there was no management plans, there was no funding, there was no oversight. I've met harbour masters in West Cork who don't even know where the boundaries to these special areas of conservation, these SACs, are. You know, So it's quite worrying to see the lack of progress. So we started to really put the pressure on the government to take this issue seriously because when it comes to climate change, the ocean really is our greatest ally. And in Ireland, we have an ocean territory out to sea, so the Irish Exclusive Economic Zone um, so that's the waters we have jurisdiction over out to sea, is seven times larger than the island of Ireland. 
So that is a phenomenal amount of responsibility we have to look after the ocean. And being an island, so much of our life depends on the ocean, even from the fact that 50% at least of the oxygen that we breathe is generated by the ocean and um, should be cause enough for us to do all we can to protect it, especially in the face of climate change and warming oceans and biodiversity loss. If you create a marine protected area, what you're doing is you're putting in particular uh, restrictions, regulations, monitoring and management plans to ensure the ecosystem in that area is healthy and that the coastal communities who rely on that area are also supported. So it's about working hand in hand with communities and biodiversity to ensure that we all can have a livable future. So, you know, by protecting an area and protecting the food source for other biodiversity, we have a huge chance in fighting climate change on our doorstep. And what I say to people is when people want to take their own role in this, the most important thing we, thing we can do at the moment in West Cork is contact our political representatives because I think the ocean is being overlooked, especially in Ireland, because it's clearly being overlooked with these delays in marine protected areas. It's not being prioritised. The Dáil um, rises for summer recess. We've still gone a whole other political season without seeing marine protected area legislation coming through. So I think we need to let our, our, our especially you know, people in West Cork living in coastal communities, we need to let them know that the health of the ocean is vital to us. And if we are serious about climate change and maintaining a livable planet for our children and for future generations, that we need to start taking the ocean seriously. And for a view on how that political will can be tapped into, no less a person than former US Vice President Al Gore had this to say about the need for marine protected areas at the recent Fair Seas Conference in Cork. The commitment Ireland has made to protect 30% of its waters by 2030 mirrors Ireland's outstanding leadership on environmental protection and in the efforts to solve the climate crisis. But now's the time to transform the words and pledges and promises into meaningful action. And of course, the seas surrounding Ireland have helped to sustain the Irish people for thousands of years. But in order for them to continue supporting the Irish people, these seas need to not only be protected, but also managed in a sustainable way. With collaborative policymaking that provides clear guidelines for marine protected areas, these unique ecosystems can continue to thrive alongside the people and the businesses that depend on them. And at times, political will on these issues can feel difficult to muster, believe me, I know. But always remember this important truth. Political will is itself a renewable resource. And no people are better able to renew it than the people of Ireland. And we're stronger when together. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. And well done, there's Al Gore finishing off our Hours to Protect feature for this week and our thanks to uh, Barry O'Mahony for that. We will continue with Hours to Protect again next uh, week. Now, some commentary in it's a kind of expected from John in Cove who always likes to stir the pot with his views to do with uh, women uh, and women had their place in the home and they should be staying at home and they should be looking after the men folk and he doesn't see why we have a group of uh, women uh, kicking a chasing a ball around a field. It's how he described our wonderful soccer players over in Australia doing us all proud. Morris says, God, I'd love to be John's partner. What a gent. Someone else says, Patricia, how are you doing? Asha, poor John. I hope his suggestion for women staying tied to the kitchen sink doesn't work against him. For example, if he needs a doctor 
a nurse, a home carer, a teacher, a solicitor or even a vet, as many are very hardworking women. And nowadays, those same women can't afford to stay at home tied to the sink. Even if there's two wages coming into the house, young people can't get a mortgage, says Michael. Has John thought about having all the women at home and what would happen to our workforce? And someone else says, I'm just wondering, does John have a wife? If he does, she must be changed to the sink and the house looking after him. Well done, by the way, to our girls. I hope that they never end up meeting a man like uh, John. So I don't think John is going to be best pleased with. There is nobody else out there, John, in Cove, agreeing with your view that the best place for the women should be back home. Uh, Pat says, hi, Patricia. Oh, hang on now. Hang on. Let me stop. Let me regroup. Pat says, Patricia, John is right, of course. Women should only be seen and not often. Okay, uh, Pat and John, I think we should, I don't know where Pat is texting us from, but maybe we'll put him in contact with John in Cove because I think the two of them would form a great friendship and they would have a lot of mutual respect for each other, but certainly wouldn't be having respect for women. 0818 103 103, our lines are open. Bernie's taking calls. Uh, You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103, 103. Now, Paula has made a good point, saying, how does John in Cove even listen to your programme, Patricia? Sure, he must be of the opinion that she should be at home in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, he probably does think I should be at home in the kitchen. OK, and we're under an hour away from helping Mallow Credit Union to celebrate their 60th anniversary today. And we're sending our own Nick Richards down to Mallow Credit Union along with the C103 Street Fleet. And he'll be there for his entire show between one and four o'clock today. Mallow Credit Union, they're based at Bank Place in uh, Mallow. And if you want to pop along this afternoon, particularly between one and four, please do, because it's going to be given ways. It's going to be great music and much much more. So if you're in and around Mallow this afternoon, the Credit Union office, the place to be, go in and say happy 60th anniversary to each and every one of the staff and they're going to have a fantastic day out and you can be part of the celebrations with C103 by joining Nick Richards and the staff of the C103 Street Fleet this afternoon. Best wishes to everybody in Mallow Credit Union on their 60th anniversary going from strength to strength. 0818103103 I mentioned that text that scam text we like to keep everybody reminded of the various scams that are doing the rounds and it's the one that I said I got last week as well and this one of our listeners got it saying you know hi ma'am I'm after losing my phone uh, my phone is after breaking I'm using this number instead can you text me and it, it is absolutely it's completely a scam somebody says Trish I got that text last week but I didn't realise it was a scam and I did end up uh, texting back listen lots of people do that the the only danger is when they start looking for money. That's when you start getting the suspicious. But just by because when I got the text last week, I was mad to engage. I was going to keep them texting all afternoon if I thought I would stop them scamming somebody else. Because but there was no way I was sending any money to them or getting they were going to get any bank de- details uh, out of me. But unfortunately, they didn't. I'd say they copped straight away that I knew that it was uh, a scam. But just delete them when you get them. It's for people who do get sucked in and who genuinely think. It's their son or daughter with a broken phone and, and that they and they need help in some ways. That's how people get uh, scammed. Now, 
A lot of uh, commentary still coming in reacting to John in Cove who was on to us earlier on uh, saying doesn't know why we're talking about the wonderful ladies soccer and they're playing out in Australia and they shouldn't be kicking a ball around the field. They'd be better off at home uh, doing work that women should be doing. Some of your reaction on that Patricia. I think and John regularly texts us by the way. I think he's John in Cove is also uh, the, the, the guy who thinks that all uh, pensioners are very well off. I'm sure that's the same uh, John uh, and he regularly calls John Paul on that particular issue whenever I mention anything to do with pensioners he's always on saying they're always getting their hair done they're out at the bingo they're spending all their money they're all dolled up well it seems it's not just pensioners he's got an issue with women as well this texter says I think John texts you commenting on women or on old age pensioners just to get a bit of a rise out of you and to cause a bit of controversy on the radio maybe John should crawl back under the rock in his cave and the dark ages he needs to get a life God help his wife if he is married she must feel like chaining him up or gagging him to get him to stop contacting the radio station Bernice says Patricia what era does John from Cove and Pat the other gentleman who agreed with him what era do they think they're living in in um, in the are they, do they, are they thinking of the era where women did all of the housework and cooking and didn't do anything else surely that day is long gone these men need to wake up and start living in the new generation, particularly the new generation of women. That's from Bernice. Uh, Michael Inoknahini says, John in Cove should be brought along to a training session and let a few of the girls kick... kick some sense into him. I don't think we'd be allowed to do that, uh, Michael, but I sense where you're coming from. Olive in Mitchellstown says, John in Cove have family. And if so, how does he think they came about? If his wife was tied up doing the washing there wouldn't be any family would there says Olive in Mitchellstown and this is from Jimmy in Bandon says hi Patricia to all the ladies listening I wouldn't pay too much attention to John's comments in fact I suspect it's probably somebody that's bored and just learning looking to stir the pot with silly statements the ironic thing is that John's hometown of Cove has a massive history in all sporting disciplines they've got Sonia with the athletes Cove GAA, Cove Pirates Rugby and not to forget the footballers with Cove Ramblers, Cove Wanderers, Springfield etc. One could go on and on because John said his, his opening comment was he's not into sport at all. Super show Patricia. That's from Jimmy and Bandit. Thank you for that uh, Jimmy. And Bernie tells me that John and Cove has just been on to say listening to everybody's comments he says the truth is bitter. So he's, he's, he's sticking to his guns. Okay. Ah, happy Friday afternoon to you, John. 0818 103 103. Now, getting, still getting comments in about the assaults that happened in uh, Dublin. John O'Donovan in the city said the assault in Dublin, this was of the US tourists that I spoke about earlier. Uh, he thought it was ridiculous hearing the apology coming from the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee. The country and the Gardaí, he feels, has lost confidence in her as Justice Minister. It seems to be open season on tourists and the general public. No one is safe. And this gang of youths seem to be patrolling around the city centre just looking for people uh, to pick on. It's just, I mean, that poor man just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he's now been left with what's been described as life-changing injuries. It's just, it's incredible if these 
thugs are allowed to get away with it. It really is. And a different John to the John and Cove, can I say. Said Patricia, can we all just send our good wishes to that American man severely assaulted in Dublin? Hopefully those thugs will be caught and then given lengthy prison sentence. Judges should have the power to put a lien on social welfare payments as well as compensation to those uh, victims. But the problem, and I don't know if they're underage. I, like, I, I really don't know. It just seems to be that there's this group of, of and they're, they're described as young uh, thugs. See, if they're under 18, when they go before the courts, what would they get? A rap on the back of the knuckles? And, and that would be it. That's why a few weeks ago when we were talking about the young guys stealing the cars, people were saying that, you know, if we can't go after the young people and if we're not able to do anything except give them a warning and send them off again on their merry way maybe it's their parents that we should be going after instead 0818 103 103 There's a story making the front page of the Irish Independent that I read before I came on air uh, this morning it's by um, Shane Phelan it's lengthy I won't get into all of it but it's just it, it just kind of it it, it tries to explain, I suppose, what was going through the minds of that elderly couple. Remember the, the Smiths there? Let me give it their names. Nicholas Smith and his wife, Hilary. They were the elderly couple. They were a reclusive couple and their bodies were discovered uh, where they had died. They reckoned about a year and a half ago, judging by items that were inside in the house and it happened in uh, County Tipperary and of course big mystery as to what happened to them and you know, and you know, why, you know how did they get to a stage where because obviously one died first and then the other died afterwards and that they never reached out uh, for help. Well it seems there was a torn up letter that was found in the bin of the house when the guard went in to investigate and the letter has been pieced back together by a Garda handwriting uh, expert and it kind of indicates what was going on and what was going through the minds of this retired couple. Nicholas Smith was a retired sea captain. He was 82 and his wife Hilary was uh, 79. And it seems in the letter, God help them, they were distrustful of care available to them under the Irish health system. And in the letter, the English-born uh, couple claimed they were at risk from physicians and that they should never have set foot in Ireland. And the letter has revealed that the, the poor physical state that Hillary was in around the time of uh, Hillary and Nicholas around the time of their deaths it describes her as being weak due to lack of food and writing with arthritic hands now details of the five page letter were disclosed at the Tipperary uh, coroner, coroner in a Garda statement however it, the full contents weren't read out at the inquest which was held in major parts of it were uh, where open verdicts were returned uh, because the evidence gathered did not fully explain the cause and the circumstances of their deaths. Now, at the time, local people, because again, when people are found dead like this in circumstances like this, straight away people start saying, what were the locals doing? Why did nobody check up on this elderly couple? And in defence of the local people, they were reclusive and did keep very much to themselves. But locals had assumed that at the start of the pandemic in 2020, locals believed that they had gone to France because they had contacted by letter one of their other neighbours to say they were selling up and they were moving. Now that, of course, didn't happen. happen. And when the Gardaí did their investigation, there was no documentary or any evidence to support that they had any stage planned on moving to France. They just used this. They obviously had planned that they were just going to lock themselves into the house for whatever length of time they had left 
and they didn't want anybody coming in to the house uh, looking for them. So that's why they sent that letter saying, oh, we're moving to uh, France. The Tipperary coroner, a guy by the name of Joe Kelly, said there was no evidence that they they self-isolated out of fear of COVID. However, he believed it was apparent they intended to simply withdraw from society. While the letter doesn't solve the mystery surrounding how they die, it does offer some clues, I suppose, to what kind of state of mind they were in. They were both suffering from a range of health issues. And unfortunately, the letter shows that they clearly distrusted doctors. They were, as I say, they were originally from England and they'd led such an amazing life. They travelled all over the world because Nicholas Smith, he was Captain Smith, he was in the Merchant Navy. He then went on to become a cruise ship captain for a time. He worked for the Disney Cruise uh, Line and they had spent a lot of time in the Far East, in Australia and in England before deciding to come and settle in Ireland in 2006. And that's where they bought this house in a very rural part of uh, County Tipperary. The Garda inquiries revealed that the Smiths had lost all contact with any family that they had in England and they had very limited contact, even since 2006, with their neighbours in Tipperary. And of course, when they were found, their bodies were uh, mummified. And they were found at the time because a neighbour started to get suspicious that maybe they hadn't moved. Nobody had moved into the house and people also started seeing that their cars were still at at the house. So when they were found, Hilary, the wife, was dressed in her pyjamas and she and uh, a night dress and she was wrapped up in a blanket. She was sitting upright in the front room with an electric heater, which was still on beside her. And then her husband was found. He was fully clothed, covered with a quilt in the bedroom. All the curtains and blinds in the house had been drawn, had been uh, drawn, and a, a locksmith obviously had to come to gain in- entry. But when the locksmith arrived, it was later discovered that glue had been poured on the inside hinges of the back door and inside the cylinder recess of the locks of the front and back door. So they were making sure that nobody came in and uh, found them. Post-mortem examination determined that Nicholas had died of a severe uh, coronary artery disease, but his wife, Hilary, the cause of death, couldn't be determined because of the severe uh, composition. Now, it seems this letter, but they did tear it up for whatever reason, but they both uh, signed the letter. It seems it was written by Hillary on Christmas Eve of uh, 2020 and that was seven days after they were last spotted outside um, and how they I don't even know if they were spotted outside but the last record of anybody leaving the house one of them had purchased uh, milk in the super value in Callan um, in, on December 17th it had been recorded on their bank account and then this was written on uh, Christmas Eve and the letter indicates that Hillary appeared to have very much been resigned that she was dying, saying that at one point she and her husband were perfectly healthy before they came to Ireland. And she said it was a sad and a cruel way that they were ending their days. She went on to talk about excellent medical care that they had around the world, critical of the care she was getting here, uh, claiming that elderly patients were treated like children and in a way that she found patronising and cruel. But what is interesting is that she was praising a Dr Vernon Coleman. Now, Dr Vernon Coleman is an English former 
GP, but he's one of those conspiracy theorists who controversially claimed that people most likely to kill someone is their own doctor. And of course, they believed uh, that man and described him as a courageous man uh, who uh, saw what so many uh, missed. Then they signed the letter, Nicholas and Hilary Smith, late of Hong Kong and other places. And their final line was, we should never have set foot in Ireland. Now, obviously, no evidence was produced at the coroner's at the inquest to suggest that the couple received anything but very competent health care in uh, Ireland. And Gar, they did discover in uh, March, nine months before uh, nine months before that letter was written that Nicholas had had been admitted to the hospital with chest pains but he was triaged as very urgent but he actually discharged himself the same day refusing any medical uh, treatment so it's just it's it really is so so sad but I say you know from the neighbours uh, point of view they were in that area of uh, Clahine it's a little village outside of Clamel and a neighbour said they rarely spoke to anyone they just you know they kept to themselves and you know people uh, some people like to do that and like to be very much on their own but it's just such a sad sad way for them to end their uh, days and at least one couple they know one of the couple was likely to have been alive in January uh, January the 8th of 2021 because the Gardaí discovered a screenshot was taken on that day of an Amazon Kindle found in the house and the screenshot appears to have been a passage from a novel called The Light Between Oceans and that novel is about a childless couple because uh, Nicholas and Hillary didn't have uh, any children together. Uh, it was about a childless couple who found a baby girl in a washed up dinghy and decided to raise her as their own. There's a kind of a great sadness to see that that was the last book that one of them uh, uh, read. So a uh, very sad story, very, very sad story, but it's just, it's incredible what that letter has unearthed and well done to the forensic, the Garda handwriting expert for putting all of that uh, together. And uh, once again, let's remember poor Nick Nicholas and Hilary Smith and uh, may they rest in peace. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Shanagari Art Exhibition that's opening at my place on the Mill Road in Middleton today, half past seven this evening, and it'll continue until tomorrow week with a special sub-exhibition going on that has affordable art and proceeds from the sub-exhibition are going to Focus Ireland. Dunamore Carnival opens today, runs across the weekend. Lots of entertainment. Big Family Day is on on Sunday. Something for all of the family. Bingo was on in the Mallow GAA complex tonight. They've got a jackpot of €5,300. And Kildallery Bingo also on tonight, Friday, at the store at the Creamery Yard. Their jackpot is €2,050. And Margaret Nocton will hold an open garden at her home in Dunamore next Sunday from 11am to 6pm. Proceeds are in aid of Marymount Hospice. There will also be a plant sale and refreshments. And best of luck to Mill Street Vintage Club. They're holding a van and jeep run on Sunday and it's in aid of St. Joseph's Foundation Children's Special Needs Service. Vehicles up to 3.5 tonnes, including light commercials, are all welcome. Sign on from 10.30 in the morning at the Green Glens in Mill Street and the run will leave at quarter past 12.00. 
prizes for most unusual livery, best lighting accessories and best original vintage livery. More details from Martin 087 766 8520. Cork today on C103. Now, following our discussion yesterday about the South Dock out of our GP service for the Vermoy Mitchellstown area, a number of people from Canturk called the programme asking, had the Canturk South Dock closed? So, joining me with an update is the Cork Northwest Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan, who we only spoke with recently on this topic. Uh, good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon. Now, when we spoke, you felt you had absolute reassurances. They came actually directly from the, the Minister for Health about the future of the Canturk South Dock. Uh, why are people getting suspicious again that it might be closing? Because I like we got a, a commitment on the 11th of July, quite emphatic and categoric saying that, that there was no proposals to alter or close the service. That's what was written. And uh, my understanding is that there's a clear all they are changing the services. They came back to us yesterday. I had a number of conversations with HSE people and others yesterday, quite quite irate because I, I actually believed I was being given the runaround and I was informing the public as best I could with the information that I was being given because this is a hugely important uh, issue for South Dock and for the people of Duhalla. Uh, we don't have to go into the huge need for it within the area. But then we got a letter yesterday, which was the 20th of July. I wish to reassure and reiterate that no treatment centres are closing and that the quantum of service remains as is. And from what we... And as there was some of the officials telling me that there is no centre closing, I was getting messages in my phone saying that they were uh, in the South Dock building in Kentucky and they were removing documents from it. But like, there was heretofore a doctor within the South Dock services in Kentuck uh, from 6 until 10 o'clock at night. That is no longer going to be the case in what I am being told anecdotally. Officially, I am being told a different story. But I am being told uh, in a statement that they issued on the 19th of July that uh, if an individual in Kentuck requires care, and that care can be provided by appointment in the Kentuck Treatment Centre. This is coming from the HSE as of the 19th of July, which is two days ago. And we are getting, you know, from people walking within the service, and I would I would like to thank them, people who have uh, given me information and briefed me on what they believe to be going on. I would uh, thank everybody because of the concern that they have. But you know, I understand then that there was a meeting on Monday uh, in Springford Hall, and that changed the dynamic again. And there was, there was, I, I, as I understand it, people were being, uh, you know, that this was to remain confidential and so forth. This is about public health care. This is about community care. This is about people who need to know what level of service is available to them out of hours. Yes, we know that there are challenges within the GP services and all the other services, but we need to know the exact truth. Like I have in front of me, I have four different versions of what is the case this week, not even last week when we got a categoric insurance. And the insurance last week was that they had engaged directly with South Dock and the HSE and that they confirmed that there would be no proposals to alter or close the service. That's on the 11th of July. On the 20th of July, they're saying the same thing in but different when, language. And, and the one, the letter that you got yesterday, the, 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 the 20th, that was in response to you phoning 
uh, the HSE. Yeah. You obviously clearly mentioned the word Canturk Southstock. What I, I noticed it. in the letter was Canturk is not mentioned. It's just we, we reiterate no treatment centre. Why don't they put in black and white, seeing as you asked them specifically about Canturk? Why won't they put the word Canturk on that particular letter? Yes, and for, to that end, the only way I believe to resolve this issue is that there is a meeting, and I'm calling on Southdown, the HSC, and GP representatives to meet with me so that I'm getting one version from the HSC, one version from Southdown, and one version from other people. I need that we all clearly understand what is envisaged for the healthcare service within our community as we go forward. And that the only way I can see it, because, you know, I did a, a number of calls yesterday and uh, on the 19th because people, you know, have been giving me information and I really appreciate that and I've been trying to follow up with it. I haven't made anything public with the last day or two because I clearly want to, whatever information I'm giving is clearly, I suppose, clinical if we want to, the part of the pun, but to make sure that it's accurate yeah. and 100% accurate because I believe that, you know, both I and it seems that the Department of Health and the Minister were being given the runaround because the language in it was very much, in that letter, the services in Kentucky, that there's no proposals to alter or close the services. That was not correct on the, 11, on the 11th of July. That I, I, I do know now. And we need to be very clear. And I think, you know, some people mentioned, you know, health forums and so forth. But I would be looking for a meeting with all those that are involved, SAUTA, the HSE and the GP representatives. We can sit down and exactly understand what is envisaged for the SAUTA facility within Cantor. I have had numerous, uh, like there was one HSE official that was literally screaming down the phone at me yesterday saying that they are not closing the Cantor Centre. And I would okay. ch- challenge him with a different... Yeah, and the other, I mean, and, and this came up yesterday because we were talking about the South Stock service in uh, Formoy, uh, which covers Formoy and Mallow, and, and a very wide hint- hinterland. And of course, the red eye now, people are going to have to go to either into the city or into Mallow, and it will be the same for the red eye for the people coming from Cantorc. It's going to put massive strain on the services that are opened. It is, if you take it that the overnight services are stretching from the Waterford border to Ballydesmond on the Kerry border and that there's one centre there and that centre is Maddow, that's going to put massive pressure. Yeah. And, you know, we have seen when, you know, they, they closed the uh, accidents and emergency in Maddow and in Bantry, everything was pushed into the city and how disastrous that was. Now we see them pulling back from that decision and reopening the Mallow and, you know, moving back to what should never have been in the closing of it in the first place. But if we continue with this route and centralise it into, we are, not alone are we going to have massive pressure on it, but those who are walking the system, those who are doctors, nurses, GPs, they will be finding the pressure and there will be more pressure on because people will be walking under severe pressure. And I genuinely believe that we cannot have just one centre off hours 
for the entire of North Cork. I think it won't. And like, you know, for my, even though it's outside my area, because that's closing, that will be putting more pressure on Mallow, and that will be putting more pressure on our area in Duhalla. And I think that we, you know, we need an honest appraisal. Yes, there are challenges, and I accept that there are challenges uh, right throughout, and we are well served by the, by the people who are, you know, the GPs right throughout the region. But we need to know exactly the truth, exactly the story, what is and, and right now, uh, with all the information that I've gleaned over the last 24, 48 hours, I cannot definitely say what is the exact story. You know, our petition had over 3,000 people had contacted the scientists. Yeah. You know, genuine people that I know full well for generations, genuine people, and like, you know, people with young kids, people with, kids, with, people with uh, disabilities, people with elderly, you know, there's an awful lot of people that would be looking at this as a support for challenges that do happen. And, you know, anecdotally, we've always heard about the, the, the South Dock facilities, you know, at uh, holiday time in particular, uh, uh, Christmas time at Bank Holiday Weekend, and the pressure that's on that system. And if the only centre that would be open would be Maddox, can you imagine the yeah, pressure that and would that, be on? And that means everybody in the area suffers because if, you, if yeah. you know, you hope that you never need to ring Southstock, but if you do need to ring them at 2am in the morning and there's suddenly people from other areas of the doctors being taken away, it's, it's going to cause problems for a lot of people. OK, listen, we leave it. It's an issue I know we're going to come back to uh, for sure. And I, and I continue. And when I will have full clarification, Please I get back to for us. a meeting and I will update you because uh, it is hugely important for the community and for everybody. Okay. Thank you. All right, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Somebody says, well done to Michael Moynihan, great man. A lot of country people don't know the city, uh, especially not in the small hours of the morning if it is an emergency. Listening to Michael Moynihan saying he's getting a different story from various different people. Can you not see a resemblance between RTE and this scenario? Uh, what did the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly say to Michael Donnelly, uh, to um, Michael Moynihan? He told him a few weeks ago, yeah, that everything w- was okay but that's what Michael's saying he's hearing one thing and getting something else from somewhere else and Michael says if you ring the South Stock service during the red eyes which is red eye which is from 10 o'clock until 8am in the morning the likelihood is you'll be told to call an ambulance it's clogging up an already crazy A and E inside in the city it is uh, crazy we need to look at a South Stock for sure okay thanks to uh, Michael Moynihan there because as I say we, we got on to him yesterday when we started getting calls in about people worried about what was going on in Cantork. So um, thanks to him for making himself available to us today. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 today on C103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins me in a studio this afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Patricia. On, on what is a special day for the movies, isn't it? Because it's the release today of The Two Biggies. Uh, Oppenheimer and, and, and uh, uh, the Barbie movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And people are buying tickets to both, which is really good. I heard yeah, I heard of people who are going to both on the yeah. one day. That's a, it's and, a long viewing, um, yeah. Oppenheimer is a long movie. I That's don't know three how, hours. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how long. I'm assuming Barbie it's is about short two, I'd say, yeah, yeah. Are you hopeful that Barbie will be good? I hear it is very, very good, yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to it. It looks bright and breezy and fun and that's what we want. And then yeah. you've got the kind of more serious nature of uh, Oppenheimer. So I suppose from a kind of, from my point of view, I'm just delighted that people see both as valid movies yeah. to go and see. Now, there will be some snobs, I think, who will prefer Oppenheimer and go, I'm not watching that Barbie movie. I know. But look, just because movies are different doesn't mean to say yeah. that, uh, you know, they can, uh, you know, they can be as good as each other. And I heard Killian Murphy because he has to 
get very, very thin because that's what happened to Oppenheimer when he was making the atomic bomb. I don't know if it's true. He, he, he went for a couple of weeks living on an almond a day. I read this, yeah. That can't is be that, true. Can it be really true? I mean, that cannot be good for you, you know what I he mean? Does, he, he, he doesn't look well, I will, I will say that. And Oppenheimer wasn't that thin. I, I, mean, I think he went over the top ever so slightly, yeah. But an almond a day, is that possible? I thought the same thing. I I, I'd, same I, maybe thing. he was just pulling our legs. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I'm so technically bad, I, I deleted the, the I'm sorry. <laughs> the, you, you very kindly sent us in a trailer and I pressed the wrong button and it disappeared okay. in front of me. Okay, so you've got two movies for us. Uh, the first one is is um, Elemental. Now, I'm looking at this. This looks absolutely gorgeous. This is, it's Pixar, It's Pixar. It? Disney Pixar. Oh, Pixar, there's yeah. something really magical about the colours, isn't there, in the Pixar? Oh, they're Pixar. absolutely beautiful yeah. to look at, yeah. Uh, without a doubt, yeah. And it's uh, the, the next in the long line of kind of um, Pixar, basically. See, I had a bit of a problem with ins- the last couple of movies they've uh, produced. I mean, Inside Out was an extraordinary film. It was basically about, you know, your I human emotions. That. Yeah, that was amazing. But it was very, very complicated. And, uh, you know, it, uh, they did very, very well, I think, critically. You know, the critics really, really loved it, and it did uh, very, very well at the box office as well. But as I was watching it, I was beginning to think, why, why, why are they doing this? Why is it so complicated? Why is it so deep? You know what I mean? And for children, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then they made a film called Soul, and the first twenty minutes of Soul was great. I mean, I really, really liked it. It reminded me of the first twenty minutes of Fantasia. You know, by this young man who wanted to be um, a concert pianist, uh, no, a jazz pianist, I think, but he could play concert uh, pianist. And uh, then something happens to him, and then the film kind of decides to kind of delve into the kind of existential world of kind of, uh, you know, the of where we go when we, we die. And again, I think, I th- as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, why are, why are they doing this? And I think they almost, I think, got caught up, I think, with the, with the whole awards thing. I think they loved the fact that uh, the critics loved their movies. And I think that's the, the, that seemed to be the kind of the route that they were going. Whereas kids watching that film would have absolutely no idea what's going on. Now, certainly they would enjoy the animation, they would enjoy the colours. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, but I felt it was kind of the wrong way to go. And uh, I think this film, you know, I mentioned last week that uh, people call it the year of the flop buster uh, because, you know, The Flash didn't do very well. Um, uh, Indiana Jones hasn't made the kind of money that uh, they were hoping. And this film, too, has been a a, a huge disappointment. Uh. Yet, yeah, for those who have watched it, though, people like me, uh, (laughs) you know, do like the film. I mean, it's got a very, very good kind of response critically and uh, amongst the fans as well. But I can understand why people were turned off it ever so slightly. You've only got to look at it. Now, you, you look at the poster and I know you say, look, it looks absolutely beautiful, yeah. but it looks very similar to things like uh, Zootopia and it looks very similar to Inside Out. And I wonder that that kind of turned people off. It was Inside Out, I thought of as soon as I saw it. Exactly, because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the colour palette looks exactly the yeah. same and the animation looks exactly the same. Um, it's about basically um, Ember, who is fire. All right. When we talk about elemental, we're talking about uh, the elements here. We're yeah. talking about a fire, water, air and earth. It's, uh, it's actually subtitled Forces of Nature in some countries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And so there's this uh, city. It's, it's called uh, Element City. And that's where all the elements uh, live. Okay. But the elements don't necessarily uh, get on. Um, so the film is basically against about prejudice and it's about racism. And that's what it's about. Oh, okay. uh, so it's about this, uh, this fire family who decide to leave their home to go to Element City. Uh, the thing is, oh, by the way, can I point out uh, they're fireish. <laughs> 
oh. they speak Firish, which was, which I thought was funny. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that did tickle me. So they go to the city, but then they realize that, of course, fire is a very, very kind of dangerous element, and so therefore doesn't mix with uh, the others. Yeah. And so they end up uh, living in their own part of the city. Uh, this is made by a uh, Korean with director. With all the other Firish? Uh, with all the other Firish, yeah. exactly. So think about that. So you can see what they're trying to say here. The director is, yeah. uh, is North Korean, and he said, look, the same happened uh, with his family. They came to America, and they found that they were living in Korean town and there was very very uh, little mixing and that's what the film basically here uh, is about but it's about the relationship of Ember and Wade now Wade is made of water now Wade, Wade works for the kind of um, uh, government inspector so he's got to come and inspect um, Ember's family's uh, shop uh, which they have in uh, Firetown uh, which isn't up to standard and so therefore he decides it should be condemned and so therefore sends a report to the relevant kind of government kind of building um, he then has a relationship uh, a friend relationship with Amber and realises the mistake that he's made and so the film is about those two going into Element City to try and retrieve this report before it gets to the relevant authorities so that her family uh, business can stay. Uh, won't yeah. can stay uh, yeah. yeah and it's about that kind of journey and it's about a journey of uh, kind of people getting together of course you know what I mean and also leaning, uh, learning to kind of deal uh, with um, uh, the other elements and how they too deal with, with life and it's extraordinary to look at as uh, you can imagine I mean you know you don't expect anything else from uh, Pixar it is very complicated I think I think um, the one thing as I was watching it I did notice is that the lack of humour and that's very very unlike Pixar I think and uh, there were very few jokes in it and I was thinking and, and I was thinking well, there usually you know, is it's, exactly yeah. and I think that's but that's only the one of the one of the very very few things I think that kind of holds it back there's lots to enjoy here it's beautiful to look at I think the characterizations are great I think the kids won't really I think you know um I think subconsciously they will maybe, you know, um, learn a thing or two about the film without realising. So it's yeah, not well, driven. It's, yeah. it's not It's not in their faces, you know, that yeah. the, the political kind of stance that the film has decided to, to, to take. Um, but I would wish that um, they would go back, maybe just take a step back and just going back to kind of making simple kind of yeah. animated kind of stories. Um, they don't need know. to go so deep. Exactly. Uh, yeah. OK, mark it out of 10. I'll still give it a 7. Though. 7 out of 10. OK, and I've just um, spotted that it's... It, 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 a budget of $200 million. Even to get my head around that, $200 million. It's one of the most expensive animated movies ever made. It is very, very expensive. Yeah, exactly. Pixar do that though, don't they? They, they can throw everything. And they the most recent Spider-Man um, animated film, I think uh, cost half that and made way more money. So I don't know where all of that money meant. I, went. I mean, they were working on it for about five years, obviously. That's so probably, they had to work yeah. with it through lockdown as well and do a lot of work from home. Uh, certainly some of the characters in the film, I think, look odd. Um, uh, and I think which wouldn't have happened before, and would, wouldn't, which wouldn't have happened. I think if they were all together in an office, kind of talking and and kind of working out how uh, some of the characters should look. But uh, it's still entertaining. I still recommend it. You know, there's another month of summer holidays still to come. Yeah, it'll, it'll, uh, so while, it'll while away in afternoon. Exactly. For sure. Now would, I'm yeah. spotting Pierce Brosnan in your next movie, The Outlaws. This stars um, a man by the name of Adam Devine, uh, oh. who is one of those actors who I think uh, you would if you saw I do, him. I do know. I'm looking at him now, going, yeah, I know Adam Devine. Yeah, the name. Yeah. The, the name. Might, might the not name, mean yeah, much to you, but yeah. uh, you certainly know who he 
movie is he very, very much plays the very, very similar kind of parts in a lot of films. He plays a very, very kind of down, kind of trodden, kind of straight laced, uh, you know, bullied kind of character. He does a, he does that character in a lot of his films. And in this, uh, he is a bank manager. He's about to get married, uh, but he hasn't made uh, met yet his uh, in-laws, uh, who decided the last minute that uh, they will come to their wedding. Now, the 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 the, the in-laws um, live are those kind of hippie type uh, who adventure adventure types uh, who. Um, live in the Amazonian jungle in a cave and uh, this man and of course because he's so straight laced this bank manager of course he doesn't really understand or kind of uh, can identify with uh, that kind of behaviour the two in-laws are played by uh, Pierce Brosnan and Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin and they suddenly appear and of course they are these huge characters which of course has nothing to do with him Uh, his bank is robbed uh, by two people one taller than the other and um, he begins to think that maybe it is Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barker. In, in <laughs> other words, they're not the in-laws, they are... The outlaws. Exactly, Okay, you see. okay. And obviously what happened was somebody... <laughs> obviously the writer sat down one day and thought, the outlaws, yeah, in-laws, that's, that's a good that's idea. A clever word, Let's like. write a whole movie about it. And unfortunately, you know, it's a one-trick pony, it's a one-joke movie, unfortunately. But look, there's, you know, the thing is, it's directed, uh, it's, it's produced by Adam Sandler, who has obviously, um, uh, you know, um, a contract with Netflix because he makes an awful lot of films uh, with Netflix. Of various quality, and unfortunately, this is one of them. Look, an awful, awful lot happens. There's an awful lot of running around. It is R-rated, by the way, so it's quite violent. You know, when people oh. get shot, they get shot. There's a lot of uh, language and a lot of kind of uh, innuendo in the film. So keep that in mind. This is not for for families in any way, shape, or form whatsoever, which is a bit of a shame, I think. Julie Haggerty plays um, the his wife's mother, and she plays the same very, very kind of dim character we've seen her do since way back in Airplane. She's very good at it. Don't get me wrong, yeah. and it's quite funny. There's one brilliant joke in the film uh, where Pierce Brosnan uh, is facing Adam Devine and Adam Devine has a gun and he says do I look like James Bond and uh, Pierce goes which one oh, and Adam crap. Devine goes the fifth one and he goes that was a good one because uh, that was Pierce of course Bro- yeah. uh, that's the best yeah. joke in the, in the whole film okay. but uh, look there's a lot of action a lot of running around a lot of excitement and some of it is good some of it is poor but um, I'd still recommend it anyway Okay so it is called The Outlaws Mark it out of 10 I'll give it 6 6 out of 10 Okay, listen, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, will we be talking Barbie next Friday, we will? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For <laughs> yeah. sure. I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> thank you for that. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie uh, reviewer. Just one final comment on the women footballers and John from Cove saying they should stay at home and not be kicking a ball around a field. Somebody says they have to be out down under kicking the ball around a field. It gives the country a lift when the male footballers can't. Okay, that's where we leave you. A reminder that uh, stay tuned because between one and four today we'll be live from Mallow Credit Union with our own Nick Richards celebrating 60 years. It's the 60th anniversary from Mallow uh, Credit Union. Pop along if you're in town for lots of fun and games. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. I'll talk to you on Monday at 10 a.m. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.